Open your Bibles with me as you remain standing for the reading of God's Word. To the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 1. And we started our study last week and uh, mentioned several things about the book as a whole. Um, but the book here of Hebrews presents Jesus as superior to all. Not one of, but superior. He is above all, before all, greater than all. The question of Jesus' authority can be answered simply in light of his role that we're going to be looking at today, and that is the role of creation. Look with me, if you would, at the first four verses. And granted, the majority of our focus today is going to be in verse 2. But let's read four verses for context's sake. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Thank you. You may be seated. We looked uh, pretty deeply into what it was last week that we, uh, um, where we see that God spoke in different ways and in different times, varying degrees. Um, he spoke to us, but notice there in verse 2 where it says, "...hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son." And now it explains who this Son is, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also... He made the worlds. Now, I pointed out last week uh, in verse number 2, the beginning statement there, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. That little Greek word there, en, is the word for by, and this can mean by way of or through. And the way it is utilized in this passage, it is saying not so much that God gave a message to Jesus and Jesus relayed it, but that God was himself speaking in Jesus. And so when Jesus spoke, what you were hearing was not Jesus relaying a message, but it was simply God speaking. Now this is different than the prophets speaking in time past. And they were given a message to speak on behalf of God. This is a different idea. When I stand before you and I present the word of God, I am speaking to you not as God, but on behalf. I am trying to impart to you God's word and trying to deliver that message. This is not me uh, standing up here and what I say is the gospel and I am speaking ex cathedra or what have you. No, 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 no. It does not work that way. God has spoken and it gives a past tense. Uh, a solidifying of the message. What we have here in the Word of God, as we noticed last week, is the end. It is the completed message of God Himself. I don't need someone 
coming along and correcting it. I don't need someone trying to give me something else or something more. And so as we look here in the book of Hebrews, we're going to notice several things uh, as we make our way through. One of the things that I do want to point out is that this, is a, uh, this book is a book of evaluation, exhortation, examination, and so forth. But there are major warnings, and I gave you this last week, but I want to just recap this one portion because I believe it's very important for us. The major, five major warnings that we have are drifting from the Word of God. You see that in chapter 2. We're going to take a close look at that in the first four verses of chapter 2. Doubting the Word of God, and it's uh, chapter 3, verse 7 through fourteen or 4, verse 13. Apathy towards the Word of God, that's chapter 5, verse 11 through 620. Contempt. For the word of God, we see that in chapter 10, 26 through 39. And then rejection of the word of God, which is seen in chapter 12, 14 through 29. At the end of the day, I think we all just need to take a lesson from this, that we need to heed the word of God. In all forms, in all ways, every, uh, every mode that it is presented, we need to stop and focus in on what God's Word is saying to us, and now what we will do as a result of that. Uh, if you'll notice, I have been trying my best to uh, convey some I will statements at the conclusion of every message recently, and I've, I'm, I'm doing that on purpose, because what is, the, what is the point of gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge, gaining information, if we never put it into practice? This is something that is pivotal. There are many overly intelligent uh, churchgoers today who have never learned to apply what they have heard. It's evident when you talk with someone who is blatantly in disobedience to the word of God, but they will let you know that they know what it says. How many times have you communicated the truth of God's word and you hear these two words I know <laughs> if you know why aren't you doing it you know I, I go through this as a father I'm sure you all have been there as well and I, I can remember as uh, as a teacher I was uh, I taught for a little while my wife is a teacher and she can probably amplify this but but I can remember giving students, you know, and do you remember this is what was required? This is what was requested. I wanted single spacing, one-inch margins, 12-point font. I know. Well, then why is it 18-point font, double, double spacing, and four-inch margins? I, I, I don't, you know, okay. Well, I know. I know. Knowing is one thing. Applying is something else. And it's time for Christians across the board today to quit knowing and start doing. This is where we are in, in, in society and in Christendom. You want to know why uh, the, the nation is weak? It's because the church is weak. You want to know why the church is weak? It's because those of us who call ourselves born again, blood-bought, believers in God, do not simply follow what he says to do. We know it. 
but we won't do it. There are times where I hear my kids and they are screaming at one another or arguing at one another. And I remember reading an article one time that hit me like a glass of cold water in a hot shower. And if you've never had that happen to you, you've probably never lived. But I was reading this article and it was simply a man comes home and he steps into the steps into the house and he hears the kids off in the corner screaming and yelling and mom is screaming and yelling at them and then mom comes walking by and here he is just standing there, glad I'm home. And, and she says, why are these kids so loud? <laughs> Do you really want me to answer that, he said? <laughs> but I can listen and I hear my kids from time to time and I'll, I'll be down, downstairs in the basement and two stories away I'm hearing screaming and yelling and it just sounds like people are being ripped from their parents, thrown into the pits of hell and you just wonder what's going on up there? Is someone dying? And you walk into the room and say, knock it off! Ah, oh, that's why you're so loud. They are learning from me. But what are they learning? The reason so many of our generation is turning away, our, our current generation is turning away from the truth of God's word is because those of us that claim to believe it will not apply it. I'll give you some salve later. But let that wound dig in a little bit. We claim to believe this book. But when it says thou shalt, we don't. When it says thou shalt not, we do. And we try to excuse it away. But we've got to understand there are some major warnings in this book of Hebrews. To wake us up. It's time to quit playing church. And get real for a minute. One of those areas is in the way Christ is viewed today. I pose the question, why does it really matter if Jesus is the creator or not? We're going to start off with this question, and, and I, I hope to, by the end of this, do my best to, to, uh, uh, to show you the importance of this teaching, the importance of understanding Jesus Christ as the creator. Before we go any further, I think it's important for us to notice here in verse number 2, Exactly what he's saying. Now, you remember I gave you that little Greek word, en, epsilon, nu. It's a simple little word, but it has such a vast understanding that we, we need to not skip by it. It is that word that we translate here as by, half in these last days spoken unto us, by his son. But notice what it says there, by whom he also made the worlds. That's that same word, en. There are some that would teach you that, no, God just used Jesus to create the world. No, 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 no. God created the world as Jesus. 
Let's just let that sink in for a minute. It's one thing to be used by God. It's another thing to be God. And what we have given to us right here in this simple statement is that Jesus Christ is God. Like it or not. Me, I love it. Because it expands so much what he has done for us, who he is. The thing that sets Christianity apart from all other, get this, all other belief systems is the person of Jesus Christ. That's what separates us from the rest. That's the reason why it's okay to pray to God, but once you say in Jesus' name, pump the brakes there, buddy. Jesus is what separates the men from the boys. The book of Hebrews is a beautiful expose, so to speak, of, of the supremacy of Christ and Christianity. Let's look at three main things today. I want to pull out Christ's glory as relating to God, Christ's glory as relating to the universe, and then Christ's glory as relating to mankind. First off, Christ's glory as relating to God. Get an understanding of what exactly the Godhead is. Now, I try not to use the word Trinity. I've told you this before, but I want to, in case you missed it, I want to recap. I try not to use that word very much because you know how many times people have come to me, these namby-pamby, know-it-alls, want to say, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. You're right. <laughs> but Godhead is. And so I'm going to use the term Godhead. Understanding what the doctrine of the Godhead or the Trinity is. The Godhead is the understanding that God is one being, three persons. Now, in Orthodox Christianity, we don't ever teach really that God the Father is God the Son. We, we keep them separate. That God the Father and God the Son, two separate persons, are one and the same being. This gets confusing for us. And I know oftentimes we try to teach the kids, well, you've got water is H2O. But what is ice? H2O. And what is steam? H2O. But you can't drink steam. You can't breathe in water. You, can, you, you can't drink ice. You see, we, we have an understanding of those things. But for some reason, the Godhead eludes us in that. And so I wanted to try to do the best I can to quickly give an understanding of the Godhead. And you have the two different terms, being and person. Being is an existence, something that is. Pretty simple, right? A person is an individual within the whole. So, we compose Liberty Bible Church. But I in and of myself am not Liberty Bible Church. I am one person within the body of Liberty Bible Church. Pretty, pretty easy. Try to teach the kids, when I'm, when I'm talking with the kids about the, the Godhead, I try to teach them the difference between being and person. A being 
being that there is an existence. And so, for example, I am not a horse or a donkey or a mule or a dog. Keep your mouth shut, Jeff. I am a human being, right? And you the same. You're human beings. We're all the same being, but we're different persons. There is only one being that is God, just like there's only one being that is humanity. The difference between the one being that is God and the, and the being that is humanity is the persons are not one in the sense of unity. You can't get people to agree on which brand of car is right or what football team to, to root for. How in the world are you going to get them to agree on the important stuff of life? I can't, tell you, I've, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come up to me and say, Oh, you drive a Chevy? What's wrong with you? You know, it's Ford, first on race day. Of course, then you always have the smarty pants that like to go fix or repair daily, you mean? Yeah. And, and then you get the people that, you know, Oh, I've always hated driving Fords. I like to drive Chevys because Fords, all you do is push them. And then I had a Dodge for a while, and everybody said, you know, wait, wait, stop, listen. Can you hear it? And I'd be like, what? There's a Dodge rusting out there. You know, you got people, they give you all this stuff all the time, right? Humanity is its own being. But we are each individual persons. Catch this. There is not one type of human and another type of human. Right? You don't have black humans, white humans, yellow humans, red humans. You have humans, right? And so all this divisive type of talk where, where it's, well, this one's better than this one, or this one's over this one, or this one should have and this one shouldn't have. Oh, no, 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 stop right there. Humanity. One being. And so people will ask, they constantly ask me questions like, okay, if, if there is only one being that is humanity, what, how should I respond to the, any of these movements that would uh, degrade or elevate one gender or one group of people above another? Let me give you just real quickly three, three tips to that. This is how I try to approach it, and this is not all-encompassing by any stretch of the imagination, but first, lovingly never render evil for evil. Okay? So when I've got someone who is vehement against a certain one, one certain gender or one certain group of people or anything along those lines, I do not, I do not fight and pour acid on acid. I don't do that. I don't do that. That's going to get me nowhere. I mean, what in the world is, it's kind of like you got the, uh, you got people, I, I, I tease my son. I love my son. And to be honest with you, I really don't care. But it's just fun to give him a hard time because he likes the Browns. And so I tease him about that. I give him a hard time and I, I, I ride him a little bit. And, but but it, it really, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. But you know what it's like when you've got, okay, let's take something a little more uh, intense, like maybe you've got the Michigan-Ohio State. And I came in, on it's, it's Ohio State and Michigan are playing. Again, I don't have a dog in the fight, but wouldn't it be funny 
if I wore blue and gold with an Ohio State tie that day and just watched the people go. Oh, he's got to be a Michigan fan. Nobody but a Michigan fan would wear those colors. Well, wait a minute, he's got an Ohio State tie on, and I just watch it. We've got to slow down. We don't want to pour evil on evil. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. See that none render evil for evil. Even follows it up a little bit later. Flee all appearance of evil. You know, if just contextually speaking, I see that flee all appearance of evil, I don't believe that's saying, well, you shouldn't do anything that could be uh, uh, maybe viewed possibly as sin. Let's take it for context's sake. Just a couple verses before that, it says, see that none render evil for evil or railing for railing. In other words, if someone does something mean or says something mean to me, I am not to respond in the same manner. And so when it says flee all appearance, guess what I'm supposed to do? Do everything that I can to make sure it doesn't look like that's what I'm doing. So that's the first thing. Second, how, how do I uh, deal with someone who uh, believes one is better than another? I learn to be calm. I learn to be calm. First Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 teaches us to be calm, minding your business. I hate social media. I hate it. I mean, it's a great tool. Don't get me wrong. But why is it that Everybody seems to, this person makes a post, and then this person makes a comment to that post, and then this person is looking at their conversation and decides, I'm going to get in my two cents. And you just look going, yep, there's the love of Christ. Ooh, ah, mm. it's like a bad game of tennis. Sometimes it's just a matter of just keep your mouth shut. And a mentor used to always tell me, you got two ears and one mouth. Say half as much as you hear. If that. Third, whenever necessary, lovingly guide, never drive. You never get very far pushing people to your way of thinking. But guide them to truth. You've got someone, I, I love the, um, if you study the movements to abolish slavery, if you've ever studied it, you know the number one tool that was used during those days? This book right here. But here's the sad thing. You know one of the tools that was used horribly incorrect to defend it was idiots who wanted to pick and choose things out of this book and they tried to defend slavery no 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 no. guide them to truth lovingly help them see God is loving of all Enough of that. Again, speaking, going back to the Godhead, all three of these individuals, you have the three different persons. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. 
but they are all three co-eternal, equal with one another, and always in agreement. One being manifest in three different persons. All of them equal. Humanity, just as the Godhead, there is not one that is above or more value. Again, speaking of the Godhead, the beauty is seen here in this condescension. Now, we don't like the word condescending, do we? How do you like that, when, ladies, when your husband starts speaking to you condescendingly? Or, guys, when your wife starts speaking to you condescendingly? You know that you can't mix the whites with the reds, don't you? Yeah, I just enjoy it when you talk to me that way. <laughs> you know that you shouldn't hit the brakes that hard, don't you? Oh, no, I had no clue. Thank God for my husband to be able to tell me this again and again and again. We don't like condescension. But I want you to understand what condescending is. Modern ideas ruin it. It ruins the idea of condescension. However, condescending means to, to voluntarily come down to. And I want you to see condescending in a beautiful note. Have you ever had someone who was so far above you mentally? This happens to me on a regular basis. So far above you mentally. And they're telling you something and you're just, just kind of looking at them going, uh. And then they say, wait a minute. Let me say it this way and see if I can make it better, make it understood better. And you go, oh, I get it, and I get that now. They have condescended. But they're not doing it unkind-like, are they? They're, they're doing it lovingly. They're doing it nice. Condescending is to bring yourself down voluntarily, willfully. What God did was he brought himself down to our level. Now, it's important for us to understand something. Go to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Keep your hand here in the book of Hebrews. Jump back to Philippians. And if you remember from our study in the book of Philippians uh, a few months ago, several months ago, we were looking at this in greater detail. But look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Actually, go back to verse 5 to get the context. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And I want you to notice, if you remember from our study, we looked closely at this uh, verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And some, uh, the, the word that is used there for robbery, thought it not robbery to be is the same word that many will translate as emptied himself. Uh, what that really means that I, or I'm sorry, not the emptied himself. That's the word uh, that we're going to be looking at here in just a minute. But the word that thought of not robbery, uh, they, they said uh, equality with God is not something to be grasped. The word that is used there for robbery or for uh, grasping is a word that basically means it wasn't something that he had to hold on to as if it wasn't his or something he had to work hard to attain. For example, if you have 15 men 
uh, or women lined up on the starting line of a race. And it's the Olympics. It's the Summer Olympics. And the man with the starting pistol, he says, on your marks, get set, pulls the trigger. They all are running with everything that they have, grasping for the finish line to attain the gold medal. Jesus says, I don't have to do that. It's mine already. And so when it says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, or that equality with God was something that he had to grasp onto, it it was his already. Why in the world does he have to reach out for it? It's not robbery. It's mine, he says. But then in verse 7, it continues this idea, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This is the incarnation. This is the condescension. God down to our level. The Greek word that is used there for, but made himself of no reputation, um, uh, the, the Greek word that is used there is ekonosin. It is from the, the root word kinos, meaning to empty. But when it is used in this sense as ekonosin, it means voluntarily omitting rights. Uh, Jesus, let me say it this way. Jesus never stopped being God. Rather, he voluntarily deprived himself of the rights that were honestly. He voluntarily deprived himself of his prerogative. The word here means to abase oneself or to divest or lay aside one's rightful authority. He never stopped. He just set it aside and said, I will not employ it. He became man. Now, if if you think about it for just a minute, the idea that Christ the creator of all, stepped into his creation. Again, (laughs) Christianity is the only one that has the creator becoming his creation and taking its place of punishment. Christianity sets everything else apart. Going back into the book of Hebrews here, Let's look at Christ's glory as relating to the universe. This is where we're going to get into more of the creating that he did. Verse 2, by whom also he made the worlds. Realize that God is the source of all things that exists. God is the originator of life. He alone, only the Creator, has the ability to make things ex nihilo or out of nothing. He is the only one that has this ability. Only God can produce something out of nothing. No created being can do this. This is specific to God and God alone. In Genesis chapter number 1, go to Genesis. Let's look at a few things here. Genesis chapter number 1, 
And I want, I want to point out just a few things so that we're all on the same page. If you look at verse number 26 of Genesis chapter 1, and then again in verse 22 of Genesis um, chapter 3, you find an interesting word. He uses a plural pronoun. Genesis 1, 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And then again in chapter number 3, verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. Now, I brought this up last week at our communion service. Uh, the name for God that many use was Adonai. They would not use the, uh, the word Jehovah, Yahweh. They would not use that word. They would use the word Adonai, and it meant Lord. But the interesting thing is in the Hebrew, Adon means Lord. Adonai is the plural of Adon. Much of what you find when you're reading about God, you're going to find the name written in the plural sense. And so understanding what this is takes us back to, again, our first point of Christ as relating His glory as it relates to God. But now go back to chapter number 1 again, and I want you to see something else. Notice in verse number 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You see all three involved. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep. Where do we see? We see the Spirit of God moving upon the waters. But I want you to see something else. Ready for this? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. Do you see that? And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered into one place. Look at the end of this verse, verse 9. And it was so. Verse uh, 11. And God said at the end of verse 11. And it was so. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. And let them for, uh, be for lights in the uh, firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. All through Genesis 1, you see these two phrases, And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. Over and over you find that. Why is that? Go again with me now into the New Testament, into the book of John. John chapter number 1. 
Let's connect all of these dots together. John chapter number 1, right at the beginning. Same three words start this book as starts the book of Genesis. In the beginning. Notice this, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So when God said, and it was so, the Word of God is what performed this task. Don't overlook it. Don't miss the creative wonder that is Jesus Christ. Continuing in this vein of thought, go to John chapter number 14. I'm sorry, not John chapter 14, John chapter number 17. Notice what it says there in the very beginning. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now I want you to drop down for a little bit in verse number 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus was with him from the very beginning. John identifies Jesus as the word, the very speaking of God. The very embodiment. Jesus is when God says uh, that uh, man uh, should live this way. Jesus is the perfect embodiment. What he's saying is you should live like Jesus. When he says thou shalt not uh, lie. Why? Because Jesus does not lie. God does not lie. When we see all this, Jesus is the perfect presentation. If you uh, continue into Colossians now. Jump into the uh, epistle to the Colossians. Brother Dave read this passage earlier. And look at verse 15. All through Colossians chapter 1, we see how he is talking about Jesus Christ. He is talking about the Son... Uh, If you drop back to verse number 7, minister of Christ who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Uh, For these, uh, uh, this cause we also since the day we heard it cease not to pray for you. Uh, He continues to go down through giving thanks in verse 12 unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints who hath delivered us from the power of this darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, In talking about his dear son, he goes into verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice there's a colon at the end of that, not a period. That's not the end of the sentence. Who is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Everything is held together. We're going to look at this a little bit deeper next week when we get into Christ the sustainer. He is not just the creator, but he also sustains. But I want you to notice in verse 16, by him were all things created. We have a problem if we separate God and Jesus. There's a big problem. By Jesus were all things created. And so the writer of Hebrews and the, and the writer of Colossians are not arguing with one another. They are both very seriously trying to make sure we all understand something important. And that is this. Jesus Christ is the creator and that means God. All other worldviews expect you to attain something that you cannot. All of them. They expect you to do enough. Only Christianity presents a Savior who came and took your place. Only Christianity does this. I want you to understand when we see the word, now we're back here again in Hebrews... And we have noticed in Genesis and in John how God said, and we attribute that to Jesus. Jump to Hebrews. We're going to go ahead of ourselves a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11, known as the great hall of faith. Many people have read Hebrews chapter 11 through 472 times and not read the entire book once because it's the most familiar to them. It's a very popular passage. But I want you to notice verse number 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. The spoken Word. Everything that we have, everything that you see, by the spoken word, Jesus Christ. Let's tie all this together if we can. Christ's glory as it relates to mankind is now seen. Verse number 2 has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. I want you to understand, only God can claim to own it all, because God is the Creator of all. It all belongs to him. So going back to the original question, 
when I, I made the original statement uh, that why does it really matter if Jesus is the creator or not? I made that original statement, and here's where we want to take it. When I, when I bring to you Jesus the creator and I say to you, follow him. Why? Because he is the one that made it. And by all rights, he is the one that owns you. Now we go into discussions such as what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of God? You're bought with a price. We go into those things and we say, well, then only Christians are owned by God. Wrong. Only Christians are children of God. But it is all His. He made it all. And everything must submit to the Creator. All must submit to Him. The problem is that so many will say no in this life. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked. There is coming a day where whether by choice or by sheer ownership, every knee will bow. I pray you have chosen to bow your knee. I pray that when the day comes that the Creator comes and... and wipes it all and starts fresh and new, that you, my friend, have made the decision, the conscious decision, to bow your knee to God of your own will chosen. You have decided, I will follow the Creator of the universe. I will do what He asks me to do. I will submit. I pray to God, you are not one of the ones. You say, I wish I did when I had the chance. All these other worldviews expect you to do something you cannot do. Only Christ supplies the answer. Let's look at just a couple things as far as the I wills. Choose today. Choose this today, please. To submit to the Creator. I will choose to submit to my Creator. Now understand, you may not be saved and you may be struggling with submitting to the one who made you. But you may be a child of God still not willing to submit to your Creator. You may be holding something back and you're just saying to yourself, no, I've got good reason to not do that, God. And if you only understood, if you only knew, I'm telling you right now, he understands and he knows. 
and he still expects obedience. He is the creator, and we should choose to follow him. Does it really matter, someone may say, does it really matter if we understand that Jesus is the creator, that we understand if Jesus is God? Yes, it matters. Yes, a thousand times. Uh, I know some people disagree with me on this, and that's okay. But Paul, John, Peter, the, writers of, uh, the writer of Hebrews, uh, they all thought it important enough to express the understanding that Jesus is not simply a created being, but He is God. John put it right out in, in both first, the book of 1 John and in uh, John, uh, the Gospel of John. He says, these things have I written that you may know. Yes, it's important. And I've wondered to myself, if the generation that is following me, what have I done to express to them the truth that God is and that Jesus is, and that they are one in the same. Or by my life, have they come to believe that eh, it's just what he likes to think he believes? He didn't really believe it. I mean, if he really believed it, then he would do what the person he says is his creator wants him to do. If he really believed it, he would act the way his creator says to act. I watched a video online not too long ago of a preacher. His, and he was making the video saying that he told restaurant employee that if he wasn't a pastor, I'd take, my, I'd take these work boots and kick your teeth in. And the way I saw the video was of a non-believer posting it and saying, this is a preacher. And then the preacher follows it up by saying, I wish I had my bullhorn. I'd stand on the sidewalk and proclaim the gospel because those people just need Jesus. To which this atheist or agnostic says, so you're going to threaten a man with kicking his teeth in and then preach about the meek inheriting the earth. And the sad thing is all the amens he got. Disgusting. I sat down with Pastor McCracken one day and we talked about it. Amazing the picture we present to this world. Sad. It's a disgrace. You may not be a YouTube sensation. You may not have a, a following of four million people on your Instagram feed. But I promise you, someone is basing what they think of Christ off of you. 
He is your creator. Act like it. <laughs> I remember walking into the room with my kids. and Thank God they're not in here right now. Walking into the room with my kids and laying down the law like a good dad. Making sure they knew who was in charge. And then I walked out of that room, went into my room, and felt like a failure. Because they didn't see Christ. They saw me. They didn't see the great creator. They saw a jerk. And I had to go in and sit with them and apologize. And they all cried and hugged me. And, it's okay, Dad. No, it's not. No, it's not. You should see Christ. And I did a bad job of that. I will submit to the Creator. Look at what else we're going to choose today. I will acknowledge the Word as God. And then I will follow Jesus and His way. These are the I will statements. I hope that, I hope that you can find something in these to go home to apply them to your life what have you been saying no to God about lately submit to Jesus the creator quit saying no Father thank you for not only your love Father, also, your patience. Thank you for making us, but not just making us, but sustaining us. We pray, Father, that you would watch over and protect during this time. That we would do with this moment whatever you're tugging on our hearts about. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.